0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Nicole Center's new comedic drama, The Land of Steady Habits. The film tells the story of Anders Hill, a man who feels trapped in the wealthy enclave of Westport, Connecticut. Seeking to renew his lust for life, he quits his job in finance and leaves his wife and family, but is quickly confronted with the harsh reality of his choices. In addition to The Land of Steady Habits, Ms. Center's credits include the feature films Enough Said, Walking and Talking, Please Give, and Friends with Money, the pilot for the series One Mississippi, and episodes of the television series Orange is the New Black, Unbreakable Kimi Schmidt, Parks and Recreation, Six Feet Under, and Sex in the City. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Ms. Holof Center spoke with director Greg Mottola about filming The Land of Steady Habits. During their conversation, Ms. Center discusses why she chose Ben Mendelsohn as the lead character, why she likes to work with different DPs, and the changes she made when adapting the film's source novel.
1: Um, Well, this is a real treat for me. I always wanted to meet Nicole.
2: (laughs) We've known each other for many, many years.
1: It's like 30 years. (laughs) Um, uh, Uh, (laughs) I... (laughs) Talk about... (laughs) Nicole knows I love her films and that I have aspired to and failed to make films in the same vein. Um, For some cinema fans uh, who, you know, love a great car chase, I love awkward, joyless sex scenes. So uh, I feel like the perfect person to be doing this. Um, First of all, I I did not know about that Connecticut was called the land of steady habits because I guess I didn't pay attention to the tri-state area growing yeah. up on Long Island. Where have you been? I know, so do you know what that even... What well, the,
2: it, you know, it was the name of the book, I had no idea what it meant, and I've looked it up a few times, and I, you know, it's like in the 50s, I think. It was like this hamlet commuter town, and I guess the steady habits kind of referred to the commuting and the lifestyle, and I don't know.
1: Going to, was it Westport? What, yes. Yeah. Um, okay. With primarily female protagonists, um, did yeah. that? Did this strike you as something you wanted to try? Was that, or was that didn't yeah. make a difference at all?
2: Well, it didn't really make a difference. And once I, you know, I n- noticed that it was a male protagonist, and I thought, <laughs> well, that's good because I've never had that, and maybe they can stop calling my movies chick flicks. You know, if I have a guy in this front and center, and um, but it didn't really feel different in any other way. You know, it didn't change how I directed it or thought about it or. Um, how I treated him.
1: Yeah, I I just, I mean, watching it, I kind of felt like if I were making a a midlife, malaise film, some kind of vanity or self-pity would creep into it. And I feel like you do a great job of, of presenting the character in a way, I mean, he's a very sympathetic actor. Yes. But you don't exactly, you know, smooth over his flaws. He's a, he's a guy who's you know at times hard to like and hard yeah. to forgive, um, and yet he remains compelling. And I I really I hope so. I admire that. I don't know if there's a question at the end of the statement. But what what were you thinking? Um, what
2: were you thinking? What were you thinking I when was,
1: you when you were looking for yeah. who was going to play that?
2: <laughs> well, part? I wanted him first choice, um, and because you know he is does have a likable personality as a person, and he has a a tender face, I think, despite all the murderers and horrible people he's played in the past. But, and I didn't feel like we had to like him. I felt like we had to be happy to be watching it at least, you know, and watching what he's going through. And I don't even know, I didn't feel like you had to forgive him necessarily either, but to understand, have some understanding, um, I guess the forgiveness, you know, that life goes on. Um, and he's screwed up. But I don't know, I just Ben Mendelssohn, he's a he's a great actor. Um I've loved everything he's been in. He has a great sense of humor. Um he yeah, he's just got a vulnerability, I think. And he's really hot. So it was like the combination <laughs> of all that seemed to be the right the right
1: casting choice. Um at first I was thinking it's it's against type, but I think Mm-hmm. Part of the reason he does play interesting villains is that, or or fuck ups, is that he is so sympathetic and he has he has a, a lot of soul that comes out and so it made a lot of sense to me. It let you go f- very far with his mm-hmm. behavior, which was interesting and yeah. and I you know once again love movies where there's no good guys and bad guys and everybody is basically equally. Fuck. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> As a, as a mother of two boys, uh, when you read the book, did the subplot about the two sons really jump out to you as something you wanted to?
2: Um, I don't remember initially, but of course, I'm sure I was drawn to that. I mean, it's, you know, a mother's worst fear, this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and You filled uh, me
1: with, my, my kids are 9 and 11, and I'm, uh, when I finished, I was filled with, Terror about the next Deretic. decade yeah yeah
2: well, you should be <laughs> um, but you have three, so there's more options, yeah, you know, more chances, um, yeah, I mean, I just related to the parenting issues in the in that you know I've made so many mistakes already, and my kids are only twenty one and they've told me you know what i've done to them and and they were it was pretty reasonable, but like. You try so hard and you still have no control over who they are and what they're gonna do. And I related to that. I really did with Anders, you know. Preston doesn't wanna even hang out with him. Why should he? He's his dad. And his dad wants so bad to connect with him Um, and can't. And you know, all that is very familiar, having children.
1: Yeah, and I think it's part of the midlife crisis idea that you think if you, just made some gigantic, dramatic change in your life. It would fix everything and open up all these new opportunities. And we find him at the very beginning of the movie, basically not having a clue what to do with himself as a human being. And he mm-hmm. retired.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Left his family.
2: I think a lot of having a lot of awkward, feel-
1: joyless sex. Yeah.
2: <laughs> He's trying, but you know, yeah, the idea of retiring appealed to me too. You know, I think everybody around this age thinks, okay, am I going to do this until I'm dead, or am I going to change it up, you know? And then it's kind of like, well, what would I do? I don't want to leave my friends or my family or my kids, and then you realize, oh, I'm going to die this way. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not so bad,
1: you know? Is it, for you, is it different adapting someone else's writing? I mean, it must be. I've done it, and... Those scripts did not get produced, uh-huh. in my case. Um, but uh, it was nice that someone else did all the hard work first.
2: I agree completely. I don't know if you guys are writers, too, but, yeah, it's much easier.
1: <laughs> There's something really nice about, oh, God, they worked this all out.
2: I know, exactly. Um, I and just they have don't... to distill it. Yeah, um, distill it, and also I added a lot of stuff. And he was great with it. He was fine. Um, did, you,
1: did you show him stuff? Did you... Did he weigh in just to yeah, be... Yeah,
2: he did, but he was very gracious and not controlling, you know. Um, was more, I think he was more uh, shocked, you know, to see his book, first novel and these movie stars and my interpretation, you know, whatever he was thinking, you know, it's not there, mostly. And um, so, um, yeah, and it's easier. It is. It's, you know, making stuff up from scratch is really hard for me.
1: Um how this is purely a question that I want the answer to is like how do you start when you're writing your own stuff? Where like how how do you do it?
2: Yeah. Okay. How do I do it? Well, I wait until I have a, a good idea. Like even just the smallest idea. Is um, it
1: is it a plot? Is it a premise? What is think? it a, is it a f- <laughs> not a plot
2: (laughs) it's usually um a character in a situation and um i didn't have to think about this one but you know like with enough said i i felt like you know i have this boyfriend who has an ex-wife and just imagine what she could tell me you know what what she knows and you know what my ex-husband would say about me and that, oh, that's pretty interesting, you know, and then I took it from there um, into making that. Um, so I basically I think, okay, I kind of like that idea. I'm gonna go into a coffee shop and take notes, handwritten notes, and um, and then after that, before I've re- really plotted it out, I start writing because I get bored. But you're supposed to act direct- directing questions.
1: Yeah, I know, but I just, I'm just selfish. Okay. <laughs> I need writing help. Um, the uh, you were profiled in the New Yorker. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, the one thing, what's her name, Allie? What's the Ariel? Ariel Levy. Ariel Levy. Which, which one thing she said that, uh, you know, talking about your movies it was very early on in the piece because you know it's as far as I got. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, it said progress is incremental, ambiguous, tenuous with your characters, which is, you know, I, I watch your stuff and I think. That's exactly in the wheelhouse of what I most enjoy watching. Oh, good. And I also think of all of the notes I would get from producers and executives saying, it needs to be more dramatic, it yeah. needs to be bigger. Yeah. Um,
2: when I did uh, Friends with Money, Sony Classics, they were great, but when I turned in my cut, they said, where's the last reel? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you saw it. <laughs> You know, that it didn't end the way, you know, a normal movie yeah, ends. Yeah, ambiguity. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um,
2: Sorry, did I throw you off? No,
1: okay. no. Um, do you... No. Do you? Okay, here's a directing question. Um, was it, Did you approach this any differently just as being your sixth movie, having done this a lot, having done a lot of television, which I know is a very different experience than directing your own writing? So was there some... You know, whether it's a technical process thing, was there something that you said, I'm just going to do it this way, not the way I've done yeah. it before, in the way you shot it or the way you yeah. rehearsed it? or?
2: Um, not the way I rehearsed it. I always want my net newest movie to look better than my last. I'm not the most visual person. And uh, so I've worked with different DPs for that reason. Um, and I did, I did feel like this had more of a sense of place that was important to me and beauty as well, and so I did want that um, to be heightened, and that different houses to be very heightened, but I'm always into that anyway. Otherwise, no, I mean, like once I decided to make it because I loved it, um, it became mine in my head. I didn't have anybody, even Ted Thompson or Netflix, having any input in it, so eventually it just, I wanted it to feel as much of my, as my movie is, the others.
1: When did you get the idea to start it with those images of Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever suburban yeah. hell that was?
2: Yeah, I don't remember. I spent a lot, or too much time in Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> I um, yeah, I don't know why. Um, returning things, buying, <laughs> and um, you know, the, I guess it seemed like where a single man would go and feel completely inept. Because he's never had to do that before, by towels, even. Yeah. And I also wanted to say that, like, a handsome guy at 58 can bear sometimes just leave the house and get laid, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what this guy does. And it's so, not true at all. It's not.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, for him, he's yeah. You know, yeah, he's, he's handsome. He's hot. Yeah. Um, my wife agrees.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, they just. They were, yeah, that stuff wasn't in the book and I really wanted a way to express who he was quickly you know having the sex the book with the shame in it which is kind of foreshadowing his own shame and uh so I added that stuff I don't know when do you think of something you know but I, I really like that opening and I'm yeah I I'm love so it. glad they put it as the poster
1: It's great. It's a great image and the way he drops his head at the end. It says a lot. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. No, it works really well. Um, How was Netflix? They're here tonight, so be careful.
2: It's like saying, how how was it to work with the cast? Like, would anybody (laughs) ever say anything honest? Although, I am being honest. Um, I am, I swear to God. Um, Because, like I said before, they let me cast who I want. They let me do everything that I want. They gave me notes like on a first cut and they said do some or don't do some and I did some. Most of them I, I liked and some of them were insane, of course. Not yeah. really. And um, they were incredibly supportive the whole way. Um, I even finished the movie. It was locked. It was mixed and I opened it back up to change a couple of things and they let me do that. Um, so in terms of hands off, it's the best experience I've ever had for sure. And a trade-off, I guess, because now it's on TV.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've heard that, you know, Tamara Jenkins told me the same thing about her experience with them, and uh, that's cool. That's very cool. I wonder what it feels like.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Go to Netflix. They'll have you.
1: Um, Talk about directing television versus doing your own stuff.
2: Um, Well, I'm lucky I get to pick the shows I want to work on. And so it doesn't feel like a chore, like I'm directing a commercial or something, you know, that's really just for the money. Um, So I like doing it, and it's really good because I don't make uh, movies very often. So um,
1: Yeah, it's fun being on set. Yeah. It's kind of fun also that the buck stops with someone else.
2: Yes, it's not my fault.
1: They're on the chopping block. Yeah. If the, sh- if the show gets terrible reviews, your name's not going to be in it. Yeah. yeah,
2: and I mean, after every take, i got to turn around to the writer or the producer and say, can we move on? Are you happy with that? And um, so I get used to that. It's okay. Um, as long as we're all on the same page, and generally we are, because they hired me because they know that I can do stuff that's similar to their show. And it's great, because I'll meet new DPs and actors I've never worked with and want to work with in the future, because I pick good stuff. You know yeah. so it's it's a really good gig i'm glad i got into it
1: do you um i lost the question uh do you what was it
2: i don't know it's okay
1: um it's okay, oh, did right? you, this is what it was did, do people do friends try and tell you you should be creating your own tv shows because yeah. the cinema's dying
2: um i don't know not my friends because they know that I probably wouldn't want to work that hard.
1: (laughs) You don't think of your agents as your friends? Oh,
2: yeah, them. I do, actually. But, yeah, I think, um, you know, I've thought about it, and I've actually tried once to make my own TV show, and it didn't happen, and I feel a little relieved because I've seen what showrunners do, and I I just like the quality of my life too much. Not that it's so great, but it's my life. And, you know, I want to... I want to have free time and be with my family and do other things.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, I can relate. Yeah. I have the same situation. Good. It's way too much work. Yeah. Uh, and I love movies. And stress, really terrible yeah.
2: stress. Yeah.
1: Um, is there, maybe we should open this up to questions. I'm not sure how long we've been talking, but um, do you have anything you want to say, Nicole?
2: I want to answer questions.
1: Okay, who has a question?
2: Hi. Oh. Yeah, I think so. Well, I guess I'm oh. supposed to repeat okay, the question. Yeah.
1: Just that there's a point in the middle of the movie where um, this young lady was waiting for something to happen, and and it did. And if that was something in the process of writing it that you felt yourself yeah. for for yeah, Ben's character. Yeah, it's pretty character. methodical.
2: You know, like this happens, and then that happens, and we get to know him, and then it's like something better happen. Um, And it's weird because I didn't even write the story and it's so much like my other movies, which sort of start off slow and I think people wonder, like, what's gonna happen? And then by the end of the movie they say, wow, I didn't know it would be so powerful or something like that. So I can't get away from my own weird style, but I'm glad something happened when you were ready for it too. (laughs) Good. Great.
1: Does anyone else have a question? The, the, yeah, the question was, um, how much did you deviate from the book?
2: I'll answer that one first because okay. I'll inevitably forget the next one when I'm finished. Um, I deviated a lot and, and not a lot. You know, um, the whole plot, you know, the drugs, the boat, the party, um, the divorce, the reveal at the end of Helene, um, all, uh, living in his car, finding the— bo- you know, all that's the, st- the plot in the story— and a lot of the dialogue I kept a lot, um, but i I changed the ending a great deal and the beginning. There were no uh female extraneous female characters. There was no Barbara, there was no sex in the beginning of the movie in the book. Um, a lot of backstory was in the book that I had to get rid of, and I had to explain who Anders was in the beginning quickly, and so I made up that stuff about you know the shopping and the. The women, um, oh, but in the book he couldn't get it up, so I, I stole that. And I guess, I don't know if he, the turtle was absolutely in the book. You know, a huge part of it, obviously. And um, and the ending, I changed. Um, in the book, it uh, he ended up going upstate to buy the decrepit BNB that he worked at as a college student, and had a lot of sentimental memories of that time. And he goes up there to renovate it and run it. And then I think I heard Dustin Hoffman in an interview, like while I was writing it. And uh, someone said, Well, like, are you going to keep acting? And he's like, What am I going to do? You know, rent a, buy a BMB upstate New York and live there? <laughs> and I was like, Ah, <laughs> I guess that's a cliche. Um, and so, and I was already having, you know, a little bit of a sinking feeling. It works in the book, it really it's lovely, but I had to change it.
1: And the other part of the question was, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, is how much, you know, came out of the process of working with the actors and really mm-hmm. diving into it. And I mean, I, I know socially, Elizabeth Marvel and Bill Camp, they're wonderful actors. They're like two of the best stage actors alive and doing a ton of work now in TV and movies. I love them in the film. And I thought yeah. they really, you know, without a lot of screen time, everyone yeah. really lands.
2: They do. I mean. Bill and Elizabeth, I don't think I met them until they came on the set, literally. Um, oh, at the table read, I met them, because I just cast them, and um, they didn't need much. I mean, all of the actors really didn't need that much discussing. I, I, you know, I would say that editorially, it really was in the editing room: who to be on when, and who to focus on, and whose movie is this? And you know, that Christmas dinner scene was really hard. Um, I wished I'd had more coverage, um, a lot more coverage to capture a lot more nuance. Um, But I think it works anyway. I just had one day to do it and it was it was hard. But um, I don't know you know I I direct I tend to direct um, as we're going along because I've cast really well and I they know what they're doing. They don't ask that many questions but I'll go in and tweak them and You know, this is not supposed to be, you know, just little um, things like that. Because they were all so good, I thought.
1: Anyone else? Sir? Yeah. The other question is, why did you uh, reopen the film? What the hell?
2: Well, um, yeah. Um, I've always felt, and as directors, I bet you feel this way, we shouldn't have to finish the movie quickly. Because you have such greater perspective six months later right like you watch it and it's like oh I never should have made that cut so I actually didn't see it for about two months which is very dangerous um, and I thought there was too much music Loved the music loved the composer but I think it was giving some scenes the wrong vibe and Netflix loved the music everybody loved it it was fine but I didn't and they let me open it up and remix the music which is a fortune. Um, I guess we had a contingency or something left over. But that was, that was really good. I'm really
1: glad. That's great. Have you ever Isn't had that? dreams about recutting something you finished? I have. You have? Recurring dreams, yeah.
2: Is there, are they nice? They're nice. No. <laughs> oh, really? No, they're nightmares that I oh. have to fix something.
1: <laughs> oh. But, yeah, I know what it's like to go away and come back and say, oh.
2: Yeah, like, a, you know, but you have to finish it right away. It would really benefit, I think, from perspective. All movies would.
1: If you like, come a- why is this
2: two and a half hours long? What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah.
1: the, the Coen brothers, when they did a director's cut of their first movie, Blood Simple, they took 11 minutes out. Usually director's cuts, they come in and you know, stick in another 25 minutes of shit. Yeah, and, that's really funny. and they were just like, oh my God, that shot's too long. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
2: yeah. That's good. Probably work. Anybody? Anybody else? Um, I, can, I can do it, I think. Was I saying anything about the parenting styles of the two, par- the two sets of families? Like, did Charlie die because, or was Charlie addicted to drugs and so unhappy um, because he had such cold parents um, and, you know, and Preston had, a lo- had loving parents? Um, I, you know, I don't blame either, I don't blame those people. I don't because parenting is just so hard. And they thought, you know, tough love was the way. And it's sort of a crapshoot because I know some really wonderful parents and their kids are really fucked up um, and rebellious and terrible parents and their kids turn out fabulous. So um, I don't think, I wasn't trying to say like a a thing like that. Um, I'm glad the parenting styles are so different for the sake of entertainment, you know, they are so different. Um, and that particular character of Charlie I guess that was not the right medicine for him they're not the right parenting cocktail for him yeah Um, how did basically Netflix get this project and how did it work is that sort of um, it was actually uh, uh, I had the book and shopped it around and a studio bought it and paid me to write it and then and they were going to make it and we spent I don't know, a year and a half trying to cast it. Um, And because they wanted only really big stars. And it was really frustrating. And I said, okay, I'm not gonna make it, you know. um, I offered it to a few big stars, ones that I'd be okay with or happy with, but not my first choice. And they they passed. Um, And then I just said, forget it. I'm putting it in a drawer and my producer said, you know, I snuck it to Netflix and they love it and they want to make it. What do you think? I'm like, great. Um, Because I'd rather make it for Netflix, obviously, than not make it or make it bad. Um, So that's what happened. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.
1: Congratulations, Nicole.
0: Thank you, Greg. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll have a lot more for you in the coming weeks as award season approaches, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.